Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Okay, everybody, thank you. Welcome to the program. Sorry for the late start. Uh, Rabbi Manus Friedman is coming from another shear. He's hopping shearim. Thank you for coming. It's an amazing thing about Zoom. You could be all around the world. Again, let's start off tonight. Um, tonight is going to be our 29th shear, Rabbi Manus. And uh, we're thankful that you're coming. And again, I want to thank all the people that come to our shear every week. Uh, Baruch Hashem, people are talking about it. Um, I go to weddings. I hear people talking about some of the shiurim. They don't even know I'm sitting there. And I'm hearing some people talking about some of the topics we're bringing up. So Baruch Hashem, it's really getting out there. And uh, again, the point is to bring chizik to people, to bring awareness, top, different topics, and to bring on the best of the best and to be able to ask them questions. It's, it's, um, it's, it's very helpful when people like you come on. And again, I want to thank everybody for putting on their WhatsApp statuses and letting people know about the shiurim. It's tremendous help. I want to first start with, I want to first start with our average, one second. Who's upstairs? I want to first start with our advertising sponsors, the Lakewood Scoop, uh, for every week posting us in Lakewood and for helping us out and letting people know about it. I'd like to give a special thank you to Rabbi and Yanif Chazak for posting it on all those platforms. We really appreciate it. I'd give a special thank you to COL Live, Mika Sofer, for posting us on COL Live and letting people know about us here. And a very special thank you to Chayla Kaufman and to Shmuel Summer from JCN Jewish Content Network for always promoting us across all the digital channels. Um, again, we'll get into it a little later. Next week, we have a very big program as well. Rabbi Yawa Jacobson is coming to discuss next week. He's dealing with some of life's extraordinary challenges and how to grow from them. It's going to be really mind-blowing share. We spent Shabbos together last week together, and uh, it's going to be a real powerful piece. Let's start off with Coach Menachem, our host. A few opening words. Thank you again, Usher. And welcome, everyone, to Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem. Baruch Shem, we're up to um, show number 29, and... Have lots of atzlocha. And I would like to thank you all, number one, for coming, and to thank you for all of you that sent back all the feedback, which is amazing to see. Even if we can help one person change for the better, and it's unbelievable the people that are coming, sending the, the um, feedback, emails, really, really unbelievable, and it gives us physics to go weiter. Yemet Hashem. I want to thank you, Rabbi Manus Friedman. Can I know There's not much no time to, to catch you going from one Zoom to the next Zoom. And Baruch Hashem, it's an honor to have you tonight. So tonight's topic. Nothing better to do. <laughs> Stuck in the house. <laughs> tonight's topic: We wrote, we have the the comedy of marriage. The concepts. We'll learn some concepts on how to enhance our marriages going from marriages that many might have given up and don't think it's possible to enhance or all the way to the other side, you might think your marriage is doing great and you don't see where it can be doing better. And then there are those who they don't even think about the marriage as much. There's so much going on and busy work, kids and daily routines and it happens to be they're married. So hopefully tonight we'll get a little bit to bring it up front to the consciousness to understand what, when, what it is that we're looking for and for many what it is that we're missing. Many like to blame it on the, that we're Holocaust survivors, parents, grandparents, 
and giving coming from there, well, maybe we'll hear a little bit if it has uh, has to do anything, the way we look at Shalom bias. And Bechlal in today's world, how much our society has an effect on marriages, the, the influence, how much we get influenced, and uh, if we're, what we can do to try to make sure we're still sticking to the Torah way to, to look at uh, marriage in the right direction and not become influenced from society. So again, I would like to, it, it is a big honor to have you, Rabbi Friedman, trying to clarify, to enhance, to Hashem, to come up with concepts, and Emitz Hashem to, um, with Siata Deshmaya, to help many to go from one step to the next and enhance the marriages. Thank you so much. You want to start with some questions? No, 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 I'm going to start. We're going to start, then we're going to go a little 10, 15 minute opening for me, Rabbi Manis, and then we'll go back. Again, I'm going to give uh, tonight's shir. We're going to learn the El Nishmas for my father-in-law, Reptovia Ben Reverich Yosef, and also for my mother-in-law, who's here for this weekend, for her father that's still in the Teichir, Zev Ben Francis. The Nishama should have an aliyah, and they should have a big schos from the, from the shir from Rabbi Manis. Being chazik, so many hundreds of people here tonight, Hashem, and thousands of people that will watch the video of this, and uh, it'll be amazing. I'm going to give a little bio, Rabbi Friedman, is that okay? I'm not sure you're familiar with it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Rabbi Manus Friedman is a world-renowned author, counselor, lecturer, and philosopher. Rabbi Manus uses ancient wisdom and modern wit as he captivated his audience around the country, around the world. Rabbi Friedman started an organization called It's Good to Know, which reaches thousands of people every month through his online classes and events. Rabbi Friedman's first book, Doesn't Anyone Blush Anymore, published by Harper, San Francisco, 19, 1990, was widely praised and currently in its eighth printing. His next book, The Joy of Intimacy and Document, have also been met with praise. Rabbi Friedman is noted biblical scholar, recognized for his shacious grab on Jewish mythicism. Rabbi Friedman was born in Prague, Czechoslovakia, in 1946 and immigrated with his family to the United States in 1950. He received his rabbinic organization, Smicha, from the Rabbinical College of Canada in 1969. When he takes the podium, Rabbi Manus Friedman, Friedman enthusiasms each and every of his listeners with a sense of purpose, defined direction, Perhaps his greater gift of all is balance and compassion with wisdom. Again, I want to thank him for coming on. And just in case nobody knows, I'm going to let everybody know. Benny Friedman is Rabbi Manus Friedman's son. And Avram Fried is Rabbi Manus Friedman's brother. So you could open up with a niggin if you prefer, because Lukhari, you probably know how to sing. But if not, uh, give a 10, 15 minute opening on the topic of enhancing our marriages. And uh, I hope tonight people participate. Obviously, they don't have to talk about their marriage. They could talk about their neighbor's marriages or friends or people they know. So we all understand that. We have the preference before we start. And we did get a lot of questions emailed. We'll try to get to them. Rabbi Friedman, take it away. Well, we're calling it the comedy of marriage. But marriage really is not a joke. The comedy of marriage is that marriage is so awesome. It is so holy. It is so great that it's funny that human beings think that they can do it. <laughs> We're just human beings trying to be something special, something greater. And we have to have a little sense of humor about that because you know, what are we trying to do? Why, why are we expecting to have the wisdom that it takes to make a marriage what it's supposed to be? Like somebody once said, marriage is wasted on young people. People shouldn't get married till they're 80, when they're wise and mature. <laughs> but 
we get married at 18 instead of 80. So you have to have a little humility and a little sense of humor that uh, realize what you're trying to do and understand that it's nothing short of a miracle when, when a marriage is what it's supposed to be. Number two, in every other area, we know that we got to keep growing. We don't like it when things stagnate. We don't like to stay at the same level financially, materially, in terms of, of Yediyas HaTayra. We always want to grow. We always want more. The same old is boring. Unless you're a singer. I kind of tell my brother, it's so unfair. He can sing the same song for 35 years and people love it. I tell the same story three times and people complain. So people don't want to hear the same thing. They want to hear something new. They want to grow. But when it comes to marriage, there seems to be this unspoken assumption. I'm married. We had chuppah, kedushin, done. Now we just float. Obviously, that's, that's not correct. It's not, it's not right and it's not nice. Why shouldn't your marriage, like anything else, grow day by day, week by week, like a living thing, which is what it really is. Every living thing needs to be nurtured. It can't just, it can't just stagnate. But we're not told this. We're told once you're married, you live happily ever after. Without any further input, without any further thought, without any further effort. On the other hand, let's make it very clear. Marriage is not a task. It's not a job. Some people say, oh, marriage is a full-time job. No, it's not a job. It's a pleasure. But even pleasure has to grow because tainuk tmidi tainuk. If it doesn't grow, it stops being pleasurable, even though it once was. So that's why we're talking about the subject. And number three, this is not a limited subject. The problem in marriages is, is a uh, generic problem. There's the raising of children, rebellion of children, teenage problems, community problems. It's all the same thing. There's one general problem running through all of them that is causing us untold grief, which we really don't have to suffer. So if we can get our, our principles worked out, everything in life can become better. Beginning, of course, with the family, with the marriage, but everything, everything. We need to get a, an understanding of what life is. And once we're on the right track, everything will be better, everything will be as it's meant to be. So we're talking here about big subjects. It's not just a few hints on how to uh, make your wife happy or make your husband happy. This is a big subject. So I'm, I'm very happy to talk about it. I think it's literally pikuach nefesh. It can make life, it can, it can save life. 
So let's 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 get to it. Reverend Friedman, thank you for that opening. Everybody got the, the concept here. We're going to take a one minute break. We're going to take a poll. We're going to get a feel from the audience. And then we're going to dive right into questions again. Everybody, the point of this year is to make it interactive, to ask questions. Uh, Rabbi Manus Friedman is, is a well-known person. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's, this is it. This is his forte. So let's start with a poll and we're going to see what people have to say. What do you feel your marriage would benefit from to grow closer together? There's a four options to answer. Option one, spending one plus plus hours weekly quality time. Option two, more trips, fun stuff, vacation. Option three, buying more gifts, appreciation. Option four, seeking outside help, a rub or a therapist to help you guys grow closer together. So it's, that's, again, all the, all the answers, nobody knows who's saying it, so feel comfortable answering. We just want to give Rabbi Friedman a, a feel, the pulse of the 450 people here, so we see what we're dealing with and try to tackle the topic. The second question is, is what status would you, would you put your marriage in? Actively making it better growing, status quo, making the best of it, Option C would benefit for some guidance. Option four needs some help. So everybody, please vote on the two questions. We're going to share the, the responses. Robert Freeman, you can see the responses because you're a host. They can't see the responses till I share with them. So we're just going to get a feeling of what uh, what we're dealing with over here. Let's go. Let's go. A few more, few more people. Forty percent voted already. Okay. We're going to share it now. Okay. The results are, what do you feel your marriage will benefit to grow closer together? The winner, Rabbi Friedman, is 65% feel if they spend more quality time together, they would have a much better marriage. 65%. 30% of people think if they did more fun stuff together, vacations, going out, they would, they would enhance their marriage. Interestingly enough, only 4% of people feel buying gifts or showing appreciation would enhance their marriage. 80% of people, they, they feel seeking outside help or love or a therapist would help them gain in their marriage. In what status would you put your marriage? 53% over here watching tonight feels actively making it better and growing. I'm assuming that's why probably they're here. They want to grow to the next level. Can you help us with that? Status quo, 18%, making the best of it. 70% would, would benefit from some guidance. And 12% of people over here need help. So that is the poll. Let me just stop sharing. I'm sorry. Okay, so I have some questions that got emailed. Anybody wants to ask a question, please, again, live questions go first. So if, you, if you're willing and you're brave enough to ask live, please do. And, and um, we'll, be, we'll put you on. If not, text the question to me, to Asher Parnas. If not, we're going to go with some of the questions. I'll start with the first question, Reverend Freeman, and uh, let's take it away. Question that got sent to us. We don't fight and we don't have much in common. Can you help us? What is missing in our marriage? We have a very stagnant marriage. You know, at the Seder, you have four sons, the Chacham and uh, the rest. Of the four sons, who is really the wisest? We, of course, assume that the Chacham is the best, but it's not necessarily so. The best of the sons is the Tam. He is a Tamim, like Yaakov Avinu, Ish Tam. What does he ask? He asks, Mazis, what is this? What is he referring to? Why doesn't it say what he's referring to? Because he is actually answering his older brothers. The Chacham says, And the, and the Tam says to his brother, the Chacham, 
can you tell me what this is? Mazais. What's a mitzvah? You want to know how come there are three kinds of mitzvahs? You're a big chacham. Can you please tell me what is a mitzvah? I have a feeling if you knew what a mitzvah was, your question would go away. And then he says to the Rasha, the Rasha says, The Tam says to his Rasha, he says, Can you tell me what Aveda means? I think if you knew what Aveda means, your question would go away. So the Chacham is the wisest. He wants to know, tell me exactly what you're talking about. We want to know, like for the first question, what do you feel your marriage would benefit from to grow closer together? What does close mean? How can you even begin to look for an answer? You don't understand the question yet. What is it you're trying to accomplish? Well, we want to make the marriage better. Better than what? What's a better marriage? What's not a good marriage? What are you talking about? So we start in the middle of a subject and we get totally frustrated. I'm giving you a long answer to this one because it's a, it's a preparation. Somebody comes over to me and says, can I ask you a question? Do you sleep with your beard under the blanket or with your beard on top of the blanket? So at the moment, it was funny. Yeah, I couldn't sleep for a week. <laughs> I became so self-conscious about my beard. Like, I try it on top, try it on the bottom. As gatelish. So all of a sudden, I can't sleep over something so perfectly natural. If you want to mess up a person's marriage, <laughs> just walk over to them and say, uh, your, your marriage, your, your relationship with your wife, is it, is it, is it okay? It's, it's good? It's good? <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's like, is it good? Uh, I think it's good. I don't know. How would I know? Who has a good marriage? <laughs> Give me an example of a good marriage. I'll be able to judge whether I have... Who even knows what is a good marriage? What's a bad marriage? You become self-conscious and you ruin everything. So a good marriage should not need attention or like a therapist to help you. That's only when the marriage is in crisis. We're talking about what is a good marriage. Whatever, what does it mean? So the Torah tells us, Adam and Chava were created as one being. Du partzufim. There was a male side and a female side, but it was one person. The Ebrishta separates them through a delicate operation and then immediately tells them to get married and become one. So what's the Chachma? They were one. The Ebrishta separates them and has great advice for them. Oh, you want to become one? Get married. 
here's here's the amazing, absolutely emis behind all of it. They were one back to back. They were not facing each other. That's a step in the right direction, but it's not good enough. So the Abishta separates them and says, now you can become one face to face. But what is the, the purpose? What is the objective? To become one. Not to be two happy people living in a house together. For that, you can be roommates. The magic of Kedushan, the magic of marriage is that you literally become one person. Not only in your neshama, which is easy, because neshamas get along, but even basar echad, even physically you become one. That is the ultimate kedusha, Because all separation is unholy, oneness is the essence of holiness. Hashem Echad. Achdus is holy, uh, Pirud is unholy. If you want to see it visually, imagine two drops of water side by side Water flows. There shouldn't be two. There should be one drop of water. What's keeping them separate? In other words, the separateness is unnatural. So what keeps them separate? This thing called surface tension. Surface tension. If you break that tension, they will immediately become one drop. The same is true with a, with a husband and wife. Husband and wife are meant for each other, destined for each other, part of each other. Male and female are part of each other. You become a whole person when you merge. So what's keeping you apart? This is the secret to everything. What's keeping you apart is surface tension. I'm me. I'm not you. That tension keeps us apart. If you break that tension, you naturally become one. So here's the bottom line. If you're in the marriage to make yourself better, to improve your life, you will never become one. Because you're looking for what's best for you, and your spouse is looking what is best for him or her, and you're just living side by side. Benefiting from each other, but never becoming one. To make it very clear, a man tells me, a husband, he says, I love everything about my wife. There isn't one thing I don't like about her. I said, well, that puzzles me because your wife tells me that she wants a divorce. <laughs> so something is not right, yeah? Something's not adding up here. Is he telling the truth? He loves everything about his wife? It could be. 
It could very well be. He loves everything about her. He just doesn't need her. Everything about her serves him, suits him, makes him feel better, helps him in his life because she is smart and she is useful and she is helpful and she, and she lightens the mood. She makes his life better in every way. But those are things about her. That's not her. The miracle of marriage is that you become one. And the result is you never feel alone in the world. It is really scary to hear couples who are happily married, whatever that means. They have no complaints. Their only problem is that every now and then, they each feel like they're alone in the world, which means they haven't merged, they haven't become one. It is so amazing where the Torah says, Al ken yazev ish es es In order to become one, you have to cleave to your wife and you have to leave your mother and father. Why can't you be one with your mother and father? Can't. You have to leave your mother and father in the search of oneness. Because to your mother and father, you are number three. They have each other. Only in marriage do you become joined with another person so that you're never alone again. And if in a marriage you feel alone, whoa, something is missing, something is wrong. And what's wrong? You never broke the surface tension. So spending time together, like the, like the most popular answer, quality time together. What is quality time? Two people don't get along, but if they spend quality time, <laughs> they'll be able to fight more often because they have time to... What is quality time going to do to a relationship that isn't comfortable? A husband and wife come and say, you know, we don't, we don't get along. We don't feel, oh, spend, spend quality time. <laughs> Take two people who don't get along and lock them in a room. Whoever wins, <laughs> whoever survives wins. No, you got to know what you're trying to do in your quality time. Quality time means it's not about me. I don't want to get better from this marriage. I want to make your life better. I'm here to give, not to get. And when we listen to all the secular stuff going on out there, it sounds so good. Get more out of your marriage. Get more out of... Stop. That's poison. It's unholy. It ruins marriages. We're not in a marriage to get anything. We're in a marriage to enhance the other person's life. And when I ask this guy who says he loves everything about his wife, I said, yeah, but do you love your wife? He says, what does that mean? He doesn't know what that means. 
What is his wife if you take away all the goodies? Take away all the good things that he gets from her. What's left? Just her? What is that? What's just her? The same problem we have in Yiddishkeit. We're supposed to learn Torah Lishma. We're supposed to do mitzvahs just for him. We don't know what that means. What does it mean just for him? What am I getting from this? If I do it just for him, will I get a little reward on the, you know, secretly in the back room someplace? We have to break the surface tension. And then all of a sudden, you know what you're doing. You're there to make her life better, easier, more meaningful. She's there to make your life better. How can that not be good? You're there for each other. But you got to break the tension. You got to stop looking for benefits. What am I getting from this? You go into a marriage absolutely convinced that you will get nothing. You're not looking to get. You're looking to give. If you can't do this with your own wife, or with your own husband, how do you expect to do this with your neighbors, with your community, with your, with your shul? Okay, so that's the long answer. The long answer is, if we can put aside our own benefits, we suddenly become a blessing to each other. That's real oneness. As long as I'm holding on to my needs, we're, we're going to be negotiating every decision. It's got to be good for me. Of course, I want it to be good for you too, but it's got to be good for me. And, and you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Okay, Rabbi Freeman, we're going to get into that next. Um, I want to get deeper into the next level. We got to level Aleph. We got to get to level tough tonight. We have, we have all night. You're not busy? Okay, we have a lot of live questions. You know that Vart, uh, somebody wrote a, 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 a mazel tov to his, uh, to his best friend, and he said, you should have a lot of nachas, and he spelled it with a suf, instead of a, with a samach, instead of a suf. Nachas. Huh? Nachas, with a samach. Yeah. So his friend said to him, uh, nachas is spelled with a suf. He says, no, there should be no suf to the nachas. Good word. Okay, let's start first with Jeremy. Jeremy, you ready? Hello, Rabbi Freeman. Good evening. Good evening. Um, we have over 500 people on the line here tonight. Um, I don't recall the exact poll numbers, but I think over 50 or 60% of them said that um, they have a good relationship and um, they're working to make it look better. And I would assume that that's why they're here tonight. I, I was from that 60%. My question for you is, um, tonight I was at a Sheva Brachas. I'm sure anybody on this call who's married had Sheva Brachas. And between Sheva Brachas and the current status, you know, maybe something went wrong. My question for you is on, on a very practical level, if you could speak to 500 people, which you're currently doing, 
and tell them some of the areas, specific areas which are going wrong and areas that we should be looking out for or working on so on and so forth, what would those things or areas be? The expectation. The expectation is, is, is ruining our lives. You went into the marriage expecting something and it turns out that that doesn't work. So what do you do? What do you do if you're shocked by the fact that your expectations are not being met? So somebody says, I'm getting divorced. It's not what I thought it would be. So one second, if it's not what you thought it would be, is the solution to get divorced? Or did you just grow up and find out what life is really all about? And you're much better off now because now you know what it really is, not what you thought it was. So is it the marriage that is bad or what you thought marriage was is bad? And now you know what it really is. So you've gained. You come in thinking that something is going to happen and it doesn't happen. What should you do? It's not what I thought it would be. He's not what I thought he would be. I'm not getting what I thought I would get. It doesn't feel right the way I thought it was, the way it felt before we were married. What is wrong with all of those statements? We know that when you get married, there are going to be surprises. Of course. You never know someone until you marry them. So what were you expecting and what did you end up with? Now, of course, there are times when it really is a mistake and there's no fixing it. And sadly and tragically, there's going to be a need for, for a get. A get is not a, is not a sin. It's a, it's, it's a part of Torah because sometimes that's the solution. But in most cases, it was your expectation that was wrong. And what was wrong? You thought you'd be getting, and it turns out you have to be giving. Are you regretting that? You regret that you have to give rather than get? Well, change your expectations. It's not about getting. It's not about my life is going to be terrific from now on. No, your life is going to be purposeful from now on. Now you have a purpose. There is somebody who is depending on you. There's somebody who you can make or break with your attention and with your devotion and with your good skite. So marriage demands every good quality a human being has kindness and patience and forgiveness and tolerance, everything, every good quality you have, what are you saving it for? Use it in your marriage. That's the way it's supposed to be. So what is wrong with the disappointment or the disillusionment right after the chuppah? Immediately, there's, there's a down, there's a, it's because of the expectations. We get married to be better. Better 
That means to be a better person, not to get better, not to get more goodies. So if we focus on what marriage really is all about, you won't be disillusioned and you won't be disappointed. Marriage is about becoming one with another person. Another person, not the benefits you get from that person. So here's, here's the punchline that you need to make a mantra. Nothing about your wife is more important than your wife. Make sense? Nothing about Hashem is more important than Hashem. For some people, whether he'll let me into Gan Eden or not is more important than him. That's not right. Nothing is more important than the one who gives us the mitzvahs. How can the mitzvahs be more important than him? Oh, I love all the mitzvahs. The, you're supposed to love him. So what is your spouse, if not a support, a benefit, uh, azer? Your spouse is not you. You hear this? What is your wife? Someone who is not you. And that is the most important part. Because you can't marry your clone. You have to marry someone who is not you. Not even a close relative. It's got to be a stranger. Because that's the whole point. You can't just be you. There has to be someone beside you. What makes her beside you? <laughs> she has her own opinion. That's what you have to love. Rabbi, Rabbi Friedman, not to cut you off, but a lot of people are texting the same questions. So I think I'm going to jump into the question. We have a few lives. I'm going to pause them. Yep. The question that everybody keeps on texting one after another is, how do you balance that? Give, 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 but maybe you're, not, maybe you're just giving and you're not getting anything in return. Wonderful. You see, if you're so needy, that you need something and without that you can't function, then, then marriage is not the answer. <laughs> you know, um, the American style is you get married for love. If you need love so badly, <laughs> go back to your mother. She'll love you. And if she doesn't love you, you have a whole new set of problems <laughs> that marriage will not fix, right? If you're looking for love, go to your mother. If you're desperate for something, don't make your, don't make your spouse suffer for it. You get married when you're done taking care of yourself. Not that you're perfect, but you're, you're perfect enough. If you're still looking to improve yourself, why are you involving somebody else in your life? Get past it. Your, your wife is not there to fix you, to heal you. For that, you do need a therapist, but not marriage counseling. So would it be terrible if all you do is give? <laughs> no, that wouldn't be terrible. So well, what about me? Ask your mother, ask your therapist, ask your love. 
which which twenty year old which twenty year old would you say is solid and he's ready, not needy? <laughs> what do we do? What do we do? You're saying good, but <laughs> what do we do? Well, but that's why you do have to have a mashpia. You have to have friends. You have to have a rov, and maybe you have to have a therapist. Don't expect all of that from your spouse. It's not fair. Nobody can be all of that for you, and that's not what you got married for. You didn't get married for therapy. So, of course, no 20-year-old is perfect. But then you got 20 years to take care of yourself. You gave it your best shot. Time to move on. Well, I put it this way. Somebody says, how do I know I'm ready to get married? When are you ready to get married? I said, when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, how do you feel? If you look in the mirror every morning and you're excited, you're thrilled to see yourself, don't get married. <laughs> don't. But if you look in the mirror and you say, what, you again? Before this year, enough already with you. Time to bring in a new face. Somebody wants to jump on now. I'm going to put somebody on. Didi, you're on. Uh -huh. Somebody who wants to jump on for a second. Yeah. Didi. Hi, you hear me? We hear you. Okay, first of all, thank you for coming on and, and giving your time. Um, I sort of want to argue, uh, not, not that I'm smarter, just coming from even just from a point where like a, a therapist perspective, they always tell you that in order to give, let's say to your children or to give to anyone, your cup has to be full. Um, coming from, let, let's say just even the, the scenario you gave where the husband was so happy and the wife was like, give me a divorce here. That's coming from a place where a person is giving and giving and giving and giving. At a certain point, your cup is empty. You can't give anymore. So it's not, it's not a matter of being selfish and I need love and I need to be cared for and you need to do for me. People were created in a way where we do have needs. We need, not that, I've, not that I'm giving to you because you have to give back to me, but there's a certain amount of like, I need a little bit of my cup to be full. And yes, I, I mean, I, I do need it from my, my spouse somewhat. There ha I cannot be a one-way street where I'm constantly giving and that the energy is sucked out of me completely. So, I mean, I respect 100%. You're, you're the one who's the professional here. I just, I'm having a very hard time while I'm listening and being like, you know, there's, I'm a very giving person and, and I, I love to give. But there's a certain amount where you're just being sucked every drop of, of energy out of you. How would you, um, whatever, I guess how would you respond to that? I see, this is where some of those secular concepts are, are so misleading. You have to fill your cup before you can take care of somebody else. You know what's wrong with that thinking? Taking care of someone else fills my cup. To a certain extent, yes. I love giving and doing chesed. Really does fill me up to a certain extent. But there are points where you feel like you're being taken advantage of mm. and it drains you. Like there's, I've, I've have had the experience of both. Yeah, look. If you're really giving and giving a lot, you are going to get exhausted. It's a good exhaustion. You don't regret anything. And it's not that you want something in return. You just, you just want a little vacation because you a need vacation it. 
force them help. You sometimes need help. All right. But if you're exhausted in, in the sense that it drains you because to use that secular expression, your cup is not full. I'm sorry, I'm going to jump right into this because somebody texted a good question. It's, uh, I think it's going to... The question is, my spouse is not allowed to be... My spouse is allowed to be needy and I'm not allowed to be needy? Why should my spouse need things more than me? I'm just putting it out there. I'm just reading the question. Yes, okay, good, good. You see what's going on here? Oh, he gets to do this. I don't get to do this. Something is wrong with the whole assumption. It's some kind of a contest that who gets more, who gets better, who get. You gotta relax, relax. Um, I don't know. I just feel like as let me, people, let me we have needs. This really yes. never olam is a certain. Okay, let me ask you a simple question, and this is really crucial, crucial stuff. Does that mean you have to love yourself first? I'm not sure. <laughs> mm, good for you. <laughs> Most people are sure that that's what it means. <laughs> you're, you're smarter than that. is not coming to tell you to love yourself. What it's saying is you have self-love. Everybody does. Are you going to keep it for yourself or are you going to share it? Love your fellow, your friend, as you already love yourself. It's not love yourself first. That's so secular. That, that's where many people go wrong because they don't feel and see that they love themselves. Because, you see, here again, <laughs> you hate yourself. Does that mean you don't love yourself? For most people. No, it means you love yourself way too much. Explain. <laughs> you're self-absorbed I'm the best no I'm the worst no I'm kind of in between no I'm can we stop with I'm <laughs> you're too obsessed with yourself whether it's high self-image or low self-image it's all about you and your surface tension is not letting up so no one can get close to you because it's always about you. I remember talking to a guy who used to be an alcoholic. He's a recovered alcoholic. And he's telling me for about 40 minutes without stopping to catch his breath, he's telling me how much better he is now that he's not drinking. And he says, all my friends can see what a great improvement it is. My wife is not any happier with me. I said, I know why. <laughs> When you were drunk, it was all about how drunk you are. Now you're sober, it's all about how sober you are. She can't get a word in edgewise either way. It's the, it's the addiction to self that we've got to get past. We're not, you see, let me, let me really blow your mind, okay? This is the MS of, the, of all MS. The feeling that I am needy is the most unhealthy feeling that we have. I need, I'm needy. I need so many things, physical, just physical. 
I need a comfortable house, I need comfortable shoes, I need to have a rest, I need to have a break, I need to have a job, a better job, an easier job, I need, I need, I need. Makes you crazy. So you go for therapy. You know what the therapist does? Gives you needs you never even thought of. <laughs> you, you need to stop being jealous of your brother. <laughs> well, I don't have a brother. If you're not going to cooperate, I can't help you. So all of a sudden we have... Oh, need. They say, oh, now we figured out the problem. You don't have the brother. That's why you need it. <laughs> right. So, and, and by the way, the needs become so heavy that you start to get start to get depressed. So you go to Yiddishkeit. Say, please help me. You know what Yiddishkeit does? <laughs> Gives you a whole nother set of needs. And not only in Elam Hazer, but even in Elam Haba, you're going to have needs. Big needs. I'm sorry, I'm not, we're going to, we're going to continue with Imam Shekhet, but we're going to keep on going. We have the next person. Sarah, you're on. The same question? Um, it's not the same question. I'm just wondering, it was supposed to be Basar Achad, was supposed to be connected one Neshama, right? And that's the goal of the whole marriage. One second, one second, one second, Rabbi Manis, I, put, I muted you. Can you unmute yourself? Sorry. If one is doing all the giving and one is doing all the taking, I'm trying to figure out how they could become Basar Echad. It's usually not the case that one does all the giving and one does all the taking. If you're really giving to your spouse, you get back. It's, it's inevitable. Maybe not, you know, that's not a contest as who's giving more, who's getting more. But there's no, there's no such thing as really being there for someone and they don't respond. Unless they're seriously sick. And then, and then it's not a marriage problem, it's a health problem. Okay, so how can, how can someone, if they make their decision to stay with a spouse that has a health problem, so then the giving and the taking is very off, Yes. how can someone keep on going in such a situation? You don't, you get help. You go for help, medical help, because it's not a marriage problem. But not everything is fixable. Something okay. the pe person has to learn to live with, Zehu. Sometimes you can do that and sometimes you can't. We're talking about the situations that a person can. It's very difficult. It's never going to be a give and take. It's going to be a give, a give, a give, a give, and a take, and a take, and a take. And it's not fixable. And the decision was to stay. Whose decision? The spouse that's doing all the giving. If, if that's their decision, then, then God bless them. Wish them all the Hatzlach in the world. But then how do they, how do they become one Neshama? To me, it doesn't, doesn't add up. Uh, subconsciously, they become one. The husband or the, or the wife who can't give, Nebuch doesn't appreciate what's happening. Consciously. But if that wife decides that she wants to get divorced, nobody would blame her. Because... If you're deal, dealing with a mental problem, with a health problem, and there's no cure, nobody's, nobody's asking you to martyr yourself. So if she stays, that's amazing. If she leaves, that's understandable. 
But let's go back to this point because it's really, really important. How many needs can a person live with? We're overburdened. Married or not married, we are overburdened with needs. All sorts of needs. And it's not livable. I don't know how people did it in the past. They just had this, this, this sense of burden and they, and they carried it. Yes, you have to, you have to, you have to, and do, do what you have to do. And it's almost like a, like a beast of burden. And, and it's not human. It's certainly not pleasant. What is the solution to all of our needs? So we say in the davening at the end of Yom Kippur, Merubim tzorche amcha, v'daitom ktsara. The real meaning of it is, our needs are very many and our wisdom is limited. It sounds like our wisdom is limited. We don't know how to get our needs fulfilled. What it's saying is, the reason we have so many needs is because we're lacking wisdom. If we had the wisdom, we would realize you ready for this? And you got to really think about this because it's, it's real and it's important. If we had the wisdom, we would realize we don't need anything. We have no needs. We were created to serve our creator. We have no needs. We are in the service business. We don't have needs, like I need to eat. I don't need to eat. I wish I, wish I could stop eating. I don't wanna eat. It's not my need, but I was created that way by my creator. So my creator decided that I should need to eat. If I designed myself, I wouldn't make myself need to eat. What kind of handicap is that? I need to sleep? No, I, I don't. I need to stay up. I just can't. And why can't I? Not because I decided. My creator created me in such a way that I must sleep. So it's not my need, not my idea, It must serve a divine purpose that Hashem created us this way and not any other way. So it's his idea, not mine, which is amazing because listen to this. Every time you eat, it's L'shem Shamayim. The only reason to eat is because that's how he designed you. So you're eating because that's what he wants. You don't even have to have great kavana with shame shamayim. You're going to do a mitzvah with the koyach you get from the food. There's no other reason to eat other than he wants you to. He designed you to. Let me give you this little story, and I think this will really change your life. A young bacher went from America to France 
to yeshiva. He comes in to the office the day he arrives. He goes into the office and he says to the Rosh Yeshiva, I need to call my mother. The Rosh Yeshiva says, Do dafst rufen the mamen? He says, Yeah. The Rosh Yeshiva says again, Do dafst rufen the mamen? You need to call your mother. And the boy was like, What are you doing? Yes, I need to call my mother. Tell her I arrived. The Rosh Hashiva said to him, your mother needs you to call her. What kind of chutzpah to say that you need? Do you hear this? If a boy says, I need to call my mother. Okay, so go find a telephone. My mother needs me to call her? Oh, I'll help you find a telephone. If you're calling your mother because she needs you to call, that's, that's something special. There's, there's goodness there. There's value there. You need to call? So, so go find a phone. Why do we claim needs as ours when it really isn't ours? We're not here because we need to be here. The Gemara says it very clearly. You are born against your will, you live against your will, and you die against your will. That's not meant to depress you. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a depressing thought. It's a liberating thought. You are born against your will means you don't need to be born. You live against your will means you don't need to live. And you die against your will, you don't need to die. This whole thing is not about your needs. We're here to serve Hashem. We've got to stop being so needy. It's not healthy and it's not true. And that's why it's becoming so burdensome. I have a lot of needy people that want to ask questions, Robert Friedman. Huh? I have a lot of needy people that want to ask questions. Good, good. Okay, let's put on the next one. Why I go? Okay, hi. Um, so I, I think what I'm hearing and understanding is that best case scenario is you have two people in a relationship who are both focused on giving to the other person. And that way, everybody's kind of focused on giving and everybody's needs are being met. And it becomes really just a really beautiful interdependent um, nice. oneness and relationship. So my question, though, is... Um, how do we know and where are your signs? Where are your red flags? Like if you are, if you do feel like you're giving and you're giving and you're giving and for some reason, um, you know, and you're really doing the best you can and you're not constantly looking to get something in return, but at some point you kind of wake up and feel like you, it hasn't really been mutually beneficial, but really one side is giving more than the other. At what point is this something that, you know, you would counsel people to be aware for themselves or for their children or for, you know, boys and girls who are out there dating and in the world to say, you know, this is a relationship that maybe isn't where it should be. And uh, yeah, I guess like, what are the signs there? Because if we just give and give and give and the other side takes, and I know you did mention that could be like a health issue, but 
when we are giving, we are focused on it. We might not even realize we're not getting until you're really in it for a good okay. so decade. Again, I want to pause you. I'm sorry. Why a great question. I'm just going to add on to the question. Another question because people are sending in a similar question. I'm in an emotionally unstable relationship, but I believe that this is what Hashem wants. I'm trying very hard to accommodate my spouse, but it's not working. Where do I go with this? I'm just combining the two questions. I hope they, I think they go together. Okay. So again, the ideal situation is I rethink the whole notion of my needs. I may not even need what I think I need. We're working with an assumption that we are very needy people. And everything you read and everything you hear from a non-Jewish source will reinforce that message. You need and you need and you have to buy this and you have to have that and your relationship must be like this and, and your intimacy must be like that. And if it's not, you're missing out and you're being cheated and you're being frustrated and you're going to get depressed. It's just not true. So Liberate, can I add? One second, one second. Sure. Liberate yourself from that neediness that may be unnecessary completely. Don't well, so what it. if it's if it's not, not about wait, 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 hang on. Okay, that's so. ideal. That's ideal. Like you say, the fact is we do feel needy. And we do want a little encouragement and a little a little boost in our neediness. So we indulge each other in a marriage. We indulge each other. Your neediness gives me a role to play. Because if I can make you feel better, then, I, then I'm here for a reason. I have a, I have a life. I'm, I'm alive. If you didn't need me at all, what would I be doing here? So whatever needs you do have, I welcome them because it gives me something to do. Now, if the, the matzav, like the second question, an unstable marriage, you got you to gotta get some, some direction. Don't try to solve it yourself. Talk to a rov, talk to an older person, get a little... But the, the, the secondary solution is we always have to look for ways to be better to each other. Not when it's a crisis. You don't wait for a crisis. The nature of marriage is I need to be better and give more than I've been giving. Without calling it marriage counseling, it's just marriage. So it's not like if there's an imbalance and I'm feeling cheated, then somebody has to tell my husband to give me more. Every day you have to tell your husband to give more. Not you, somebody. <laughs> okay. It's like, and if you come home from a shear, you learn Torah, and particularly Hasidus, if you come home, you're a better husband. I said this once to a guy, he finished learning, I said, oh, good, now you're going to be a better husband. He says, we weren't learning about that. <laughs> Anything you learn in Torah must make you a better husband, because it must make you a better person. Who's going to be the first one to know you're a better person? if not your spouse. So, of course, every time you learn a little more Torah, you become a better person, which means you're a better spouse. That's got to be consciously 
you know, in the front of, of, of our agenda. I'm going home to be a better husband. I'm going to become a better wife. Not because anybody's complaining, but because that's what you do. That's just normal. But let's go back to this thing. For other problems as well, your children, they're frustrated, they're angry, they're upset, they're, they're, they're disillusioned with life. I didn't ask to be born. This is not what I want. You, it's from the neediness. The neediness that the child feels is making him crazy. Because we're not meant to be needy. We're meant to be needed. Let's make that very, very clear. If I know that you need me, that's all I need from you. I need to be needed. I don't want to be needy. So if Hashem needs something from me, then my answer is Hineni. I'm totally available. All I want is to serve. That's how I was born. That's how I was formed. That's how I was created. That's why I'm here. I'm not here to get anything because I don't need anything. You know this guy who was suing his parents for giving birth to him? You heard about this? forget where that was, India maybe, the guy sued his parents in court that they should pay all his expenses for the rest of his life because he wasn't asked whether he wants to be born. It sounds funny for a minute, but once you think about it, it's like, boy, that makes a lot of sense. You go ahead and you give birth to me, and then you tell me that I have to graduate college and get a job. I have to? Why do I have to? To pay my bills? They're not my bills. You gave birth to me. They're your bills. <laughs> you invite me to a very expensive restaurant, and then you tell me to pay the bill? And the same cheshman with the Ebershter. The Ebershter creates me. I didn't ask. And I wasn't consulted. And if I was consulted, according to that little song in the Shamala, if I was consulted, I would say no. I probably did say no. <laughs> but I was born anyway. And now I have to be a tzaddik. Now I have to be frum. Now I have to have Messiris Nefesh. Excuse me. <laughs> did I agree to this? Did I sign some kind of a contract? How did I become responsible for anything when I didn't ask for anything? So is there a point at which a spouse putting their own needs aside puts, uh, is an unhealthy choice? Because although we need to be needed, um, we also need to feel safe and secure and loved and um, safe in, in many ways, I suppose, taken care of, and that, yes. that we share a common goal to, to raise our children in, in a Torah lifestyle, and etc. Yes. There are some other needs. Yes. So yes. how but, do we know when putting those aside is unhealthy? Yeah. Let's lower the rhetoric a little bit. I want to be needed. You need me. 
I feel very good about that. But I also need you to love me. Let's, let's, let's soften it a little bit. I don't need you to love me. It would be very nice if you did. So on top of needing me, it would be nice if you loved me because that would make it all very smooth and pleasant. I need you to love me? Not really. Let's, let's not get too intense about this. My mother loved me. My father loved me. I don't need to be loved. I'm not a baby. I, I would like to. I really would. Love is very pleasant. So if you could at least just call it a want rather than a need, don't make yourself feel desperate. It's like, you know, even the psychologists say, don't feel like a victim. Don't victimize yourself. Take it a little step further. Don't, don't make yourself weak. You don't, you're not so desperate. Nice to be loved, of course, but to be needed is much more important. And if you are available to the person who needs you, you're going to be loved. Why not? What's not to love? Now, the differences of opinion, like you say about raising children, about the policy of the home, how from you want to be, that's not a problem. That's not a fight. That's an objective consideration. What's the right way? Not my way, your way. What's the right way? This is not about me. It's about how do you raise children? But for a husband to say, no, you have to raise the kids my way. Your way? You, you have a way? <laughs> no, you don't. You think you have a good idea. Okay, so discuss it. Maybe it's a good idea, maybe not. And also, maybe your way means the way I feel comfortable doing it. And then your wife's way is the way she feels comfortable. Which one is more correct? Practical? Your wife is raising the kids. Let her do it in the way that is most comfortable to her, because that will be the most successful. You try to force your way on somebody else, even if they try, they're not going to do a good job. Let's jump into another question. I yeah. want to get deeper into what we were talking about when there's this conflict, but let's jump to another question, Rabbi Roth. It's all yours. Hi, Rabbi Friedman. How are you? <laughs> okay, so for the details of the Rabbi, I will briefly just put my points out there, my thoughts. Um, I'm, I like a lot of the things you're saying, There's a, uh, specifically around, you know, putting yourself on the side, addressing the, your spouse's needs, um, not being victimized and things like that. And on at the same time, um, I actually happen to have trained with you in the past at the Buffroom retreat several years ago, uh, well, now over a decade ago um, in, in Pittsburgh. And coming equipped with what you gave and what other people gave, what my chassan teacher gave, what my rabbonim gave, what uh, Kailo gave and yeshiva gave, I have gone through several stages, especially the past three to five years with my wife and my kids. Thank God I have five of them and my youngest is crying now in the other room, four months. And I have learned a lot that 
most young men and probably women also are ill-equipped for marriage and are not capable for the most part of coming to the levels of awareness and idealism that you have been sharing until this point. Um, to be very clear, what I'm mentioning is a lot of times there's a, you know, codependency issues. There's lack of awareness and therefore it leads to manipulation and abuse and trauma, whether from parents or from the person himself or from uh, siblings, family circumstances. And in my case in particular, I, you know, as much as I thought I was ready for my marriage, I learned so much more after having a couple kids about hormonal issues and depression and anxiety and abuse and trauma from like secondary from my wife's family. And these things that come together with a bunch of demanding children have led me to sometimes places of desperation, seeking help in any way I can. Um, fortunately, I'm still alive and I have not had any thoughts of suicide, but I know a lot of people that unfortunately have taken their lives. And I work with a lot of, I'm a teacher. I work with high school Bachrim. I work with Masifta Bachrim, sometimes Zal, sometimes uh, end of seven, eighth grade Bar Mitzvah boys. And I see so much room that there needs to be more support and compassion for the process of gaining what you're saying. And again, what I think you're saying is accurate and true and correct. And I also notice that there's a lot of holes in the practical field trenches that I find myself in, at least speaking in first person. And I just wanna, if it'll be of help to even one person in the over 500 people out there to be a source of comfort that I do truly believe even people that are having the health problems like you mentioned earlier are really trying to do their best. I don't think like let's say 99,999 out of 100,000 people are not psychotic, that they're out to get their spouse with no emotions and the like. I do know a couple of those one out of 100,000, but um, I would like to address this evening with you, if you could, some more earthiness within the topic and not just the philosophy, but actually how do I address my needs and, and boundaries, healthy boundaries in the realm of difficult, trauma in a marriage, both from my own family, my wife's family, and even if it's not trauma, just day-to-day -day grind, not to let my overwhelming circumstances destroy my marriage that could otherwise be beautiful. If I were my best self, I know most of my issues wouldn't be here, but I'm not. So I'm working on it. Now what? Well, it's a powerful, powerful yeah. question. That's very good. First of all, again, lower the rhetoric trauma from my in-laws. What do you have to call it trauma? It's a challenge. It's hard to put up with in-laws at times, sometimes very hard to put up with them. Calling it trauma is, again, it weakens you. You don't want to do that to yourself. In the olden days, they didn't call it trauma. They called it ashvigar. <laughs> It was not trauma. It was one of life's challenges that you have to put up with in-laws. But even as you go through those challenges and those difficulties, if you lose your focus, what is your marriage all about? If you lose your focus, nothing is going to help. So what I'm talking about tonight is important as you go through those problems and you do have therapy and you do have to have intervention and maybe you need medication, 
but don't lose sight of what the marriage is. Because if you lose the direction, then you've lost it all. So you're right that this is not very practical uh, suggestions for the individual problems. But the way to survive those problems is by maintaining a focus on what you're there for, what you're trying to accomplish. And if things are getting in the way, then we got to find ways of removing those things so that you can continue on your path of the marriage. What happens very often, and particularly with teenagers that you're working with, they've completely lost their direction. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what they should be doing. All they know is they have a problem. That's depressing. So the more we talk about the healthy stuff and the more focused we are on what a marriage can be and should be, the better we will survive all of those challenges and traumas. There's so, a question, question that came in from the text um, about second marriages. Yeah. Their, their spouse's needs are obviously different, the needs of the children, and then you have two sets of children, and you find yourself in conflict in between all the sides. Yeah. So again, if you're, if you're thinking, I am there for your needs, a, a person getting remarried with children has more needs, more for you to do. Don't, don't look at it as a problem. Look at it as the objective for which you're getting married. You're getting married to help not only the spouse, but the spouse's children as well. Otherwise, you get married, you find out that the children need your attention, and you say, wait a minute, that was not part of the deal. I'm sorry. Of course it was part of the deal. This is your spouse's need. But they, they were not supposed to be needy. You're not supposed <laughs> to. <laughs> no, the other person's need is to you a blessing. Rabbi Friedman, if somebody's a good Bachan is a good Neshama, you should look for someone a nice Guru Shalman with seven, eight kids. <laughs> that, that is a Chosid Shaita. <laughs> You're not supposed to look for a Nesoyim. No, that would not be a good idea. But when you've been married and she's been married, you're wiser, you're older, yes, you can take on more. And, and, and gladly, readily, but know that you're taking it on. Don't, don't, don't complain that it's not what you thought it would be. So you're, you're walking around in between people that are needy and haven't heard the share tonight. And you decide, you know what, I won't be, I'm not needy. So I'm going to be giving when it gets us back to all these people's questions about how much do I have to give? Because at the end of the day, Wherever you go, you find needy people. We are equipped to serve. We're designed to serve. It's our, it's our strongest nature. But again, the secular world tells us the opposite. And that's where we get stuck. But what about my needs? You're not designed 
to fix your needs. We're not designed. It's not, it's not the plan. And that's why it, it will hardly ever work. You try to, to satisfy your own needs, it's endless. And it leads only to more frustration. Because that's not what we're here for. Is a child is a child born needy? Yes. Where does it where does it change? <laughs> When they become <laughs> mature. What age? In fact, that is maturity. Maturity means I realize it's not about me, and I don't need everything to be about me, and I don't need my mother to be my slave. She's a person. I should be serving her. And that's why the first mitzvah of maturity is that's where you flip it until now I've squeezed everything I can out of my parents I woke them up in the middle of the night because I was thirsty I made them get up and get me a drink it was horrible of me but now I grew up now I'm going to serve them means serve them carry their bags bring the food to the table. It doesn't mean worship them. It means serve them. Give back some of what you took from them. That's maturity. Here's, here's a practical, if you want one practical. Do the practical and then we'll go. I have a bunch more questions. Good. People are texting like crazy. Yep, listen. A man, a couple came to see me. He wants a divorce. Why? This is really a Musa Haskell, you know, for everybody. Because he invested a lot of money, not a rich man, he invested a lot of money in a venture and he lost the entire money, $30,000. He was shattered. He was shattered. His wife said to him, it's only money. What are you so upset about? Now he hates her. He can't look at her. He wants to divorce her for that. She says, what did I do wrong? I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to keep you from falling apart. And this is how you repay me? What's wrong with this whole scene? Is he crazy? Did his wife say anything wrong? So bad that he wants to divorce her? What she said is perfect. It's exactly what she should have said. But first, she should have empathized. She first should have felt his pain and shared his pain. It's terrible. It hurts horribly, but you know what? It's just money. Then he would love her, but she didn't do that. She just dismissed it as, what are you getting so upset about? It's just money. It's almost like mocking him when he needed her the most. So here's the moral of the story. Before you give any advice, Before you do anything for somebody else, 
Put yourself in their shoes. Feel what they're feeling, then give advice. Then your advice is welcome because you're on an inside. But if you're standing from the outside, giving me suggestions, I hate you. So you always have to be there inside, feeling, sharing, sympathizing, empathizing. Otherwise, you're not even entitled to an opinion. You're going to tell me whether I should worry or not when you don't even care? You're not entitled. If you're with me, if you're feeling my pain with me, now you have a right to say something because it's a shared pain. But you're not sharing my pain. You're just telling me I'm stupid. Uh, I don't like that. So be careful. Be careful even with good advice. It's got to come from the inside. That's what's called face-to-face. To become one, you have to become one face-to-face. Take off your mask. <laughs> Take off your mask. Look at each other. Then say what you have to say. There's a few more questions we want to cover. I know it's getting late. You have a few more minutes? I have minutes. Okay. And uh, we have some live questions also. Um, I'm going to go a little bit off topic, but we'll go back, okay? The questions some people are texting is, let's say in a regular healthy marriage, the way Reverend Friedman is describing it, you know, both want to give. What do you do when you get into a disagreement? For example, you're saying when it comes to chinuch, the woman, but let's say, you know, the woman should do it because she's with Mechanach. But in general, you have a healthy marriage, you respect each other, you give to each other. But obviously there's points of, content, you know, content, of argument, contention, points of, you know, I want to do this, I want to, do, I want to buy the house in this neighborhood, I don't. What's a healthy, respectful way if you're always giving to go through a, a point of contention together? Ideally, if you're always giving to each other, you won't get stuck in differences of opinion. You're flexible. You're, you've broken your surface tension. You don't feel like you need to be right. And if you give up that need among all the other needs, you become so much more flexible. You become so much more tolerant. You become so much more reasonable. You're not going to get stuck in, uh, in a difference of opinion and not know where to go and not be able to resolve it peacefully. But what, let's say you can't. Then put aside your ego and go ask someone you both respect to make the decision for you because you got stuck. But don't resent each other for having an opinion. That's completely un unnecessary. But again, the biggest problem in our marriage and our raising our children in our communities, the biggest problem is I need to be right. I need to be important. I need to be admired and respected. And I really don't. I really don't. If we could get past that, which basically means, if du es Hashem besimcha, if du es Hashem besimcha means you're here for him, 
He's not an ATM. He doesn't exist to give you. We exist to serve him. It's a pleasure. There's no pressure on me. I'm doing what he wants. That's a, it's the best of both worlds. I'm not needy and yet look who needs me. The creator of the world. Come on. That is a happy attitude. That's a happy life. And if I fail once in a while, he still needs my mitzvahs and he still needs me and I still don't need anything. Just to know that I'm needed. That's all. So imagine if everyone in the world wakes up tomorrow and says, what am I needed for? Who needs me? We have a perfect world. If everyone thinks like that, we have a perfect, it's Mashiach. It's not lonely? Huh? Lonely, who needs me? Oh, you gotta find an answer. I just, <laughs> that remains, what's the answer, the what's the answer? Your creator. He didn't create you for nothing. That's what I'm here for. It's beautiful. I think that's what Avram Avinu and the others, when Abishta calls, he says, Hineni. Hineni means, I don't need anything. Do you need something? <laughs> I'm here for you. I'm not busy. I'm not preoccupied with my needs. Because like I started talking about that guy who sued his parents. They threw it out of court. Because <laughs> the parents said, hey, we didn't ask to be born either. What do you want from me? So you got to go back to Adam and Chava. No, the point of it really is and again, this is not marriage counseling. This is just life itself. And when life itself is good, marriage is going to be good. Marriage doesn't exist in a vacuum. If you have a good attitude to life, you make a better husband. You make a better wife. What is a good attitude to life? I don't even want to talk about what I need. I want to know what I can do for you. And does that drain me? No, that fills me up. Hey, Rabbi Friedman, I want to jump into another live question. Is that okay? Yeah. Rivki. Hi, thank you for taking my question, and I really appreciate um, this call. Um, I want to ask a question about what you were talking about earlier, and then I have to go. Um, you were talking about getting yourself filled up from doing for others, um, and I fully agree with that. Um, for very great people, when they feel very good about doing for others, and even not such great people feel good about doing for others. We say in benching, first yourself and then your husband. Um, we talk about putting the oxygen mask on yourself and then the person next to you. And you quote as, as loving your friend like you. Well, there has to be a you before you love someone else. Um, so I, while I agree with what you're saying, um, a little contradictory so yeah so let me ask you put on your mask first before you put on somebody else's 
Is that a lesson in selfishness? Absolutely not. Because if you're not there, then have if you're not alive, you can't put on anyone else's mask. Exactly. If you want to help someone else put on a mask, then mm -hmm. you're better able to help. So it's not putting yourself first at all. A hundred percent. So when you're talking about not giving, when you're talking about I, I don't need love, I don't need um, you to give to me. I do need to, like Didi was saying earlier, I do need to be filled up. I need to be a person in order to give to someone else. You are a person. Who told you you're not a person? <laughs> I need to feel filled up in order to give someone else. Right. So the only reason I need to be filled up is so that I can give more. So it's really about the other person, not about me. Not, don't get stuck in the self. Means you do love yourself. Give away some of that love. Don't hold it all for yourself. Nobody needs to be told to love themselves. It makes us sound so, so pathetic. It's like there's a sign I saw in a, in a furniture store. You don't have these messages to hang up on your wall, plaques. Every day, do something that pleases you. Excuse me. I do that all the time, every day. What are you tell you telling me to do something that pleases me? What do you think I do all day? It, it it's such a it talks down to people. It's it's insulting. Of course I love myself. What are you talking about? What the average person doesn't love himself? Too much? I love a lot, of, a lot of people struggle with that. I think that's uh -huh. why I think yeah. I see I see a lot of faces over here who are a little bit confused. I think this is one of the reasons why a lot of people struggle with loving themselves. They don't know what it means right. and they don't feel it. Right. What what should they do? So I, I asked this woman who said, I hate myself. I, I don't I don't I have no self-love. I can't love anybody else until I find you know, a way to love myself. I said, last night when you were sleeping, did you accidentally roll off the bed? She says, no. I said, how come? You were sleeping. How'd you know to stop when you got to the edge of the bed? I think that even when you're deep asleep, you're taking care of yourself because you're so precious to yourself. Don't tell me you don't love yourself. And the fact that you hate yourself is because you love yourself too much. And you can't tolerate your own imperfections because you have to be perfect. It's all self. It's the same thing in different disguises. Nobody, nobody is lacking in self-love. Even the person who kills himself is because he loves himself and he won't put up with the pain. So... Nobody needs to be told to love yourself. That's such a secular, silly pop psychology. It's not, it's, we are much healthier than that. We don't need to be told, do something nice to yourself. We're always indulging ourselves. So let's get on with life. We're not, we're not pathetic. Oh, there are some people but don't reduce everybody to the lowest denomination. 
We'll need another shear on self-love. Huh? We're going to need another shear on self-love. Absolutely. Because it's a, from you, it sounds very clear. A lot of people are, I'm working on it for years. Yeah. So what is a healthy self? High self-image or low self-image? High self-image. They're both equally bad. High self-image, low self-image, it's mm. exactly the same thing. No self-image? I, I was an alcoholic, now I'm not an alcoholic. Same problem. Too much self. Too much self. A healthy self-image is one that you don't ever think about. What is there to think about? I am what I am. What's the problem? Well, let's discuss it. <laughs> what is there to discuss? If you can't laugh at yourself because of your high self-image, or you can't laugh at yourself because of your low self-image, it's the same problem. A healthy self is one you don't need to think about. No? That makes sense? We're going we're gonna to have to digest. Digest. <laughs> There's an interesting question that came in. Um, I live in a very close-knit community, and there's a lot of mingling, men and women. I'm having a hard time um, seeing and comparing. Well, it could be women or uh, the houses. How do you choose someone to marry? Obviously, we all have our standards. He has to be a Shemayim, he has to be Edel, he has to be good, he has to be kind, he has... Of course, of course. That's not a reason to marry. That makes him marriageable. It's not a reason to marry. If, if, if he wasn't a Shemayim, if he didn't have good Midas, then he's not marriageable. If he does have good Midas and he does have... Fine, then he's man marriageable. But why should I marry him? You can just marry any Yerushalayim? All of those things that we look at before we even go out, we check the family and we check the yeshiva and the reputation. and the, that, That's all just to remove any obstacles. Then you meet. What are you looking for? You want to see if he really is a nice guy? No. What you're looking for is something much more individual and, and personal. You got all the, all the virtues. They're all there. He's a very eligible bachelor or a very eligible girl. Now, you want to marry him? How do you, how do you decide? So here's the final thought of the, of the evening, which is another whole subject, but very important. You have to have what is called good chemistry or hamshochas halev. You meet five guys and they're all perfect. They have all the virtues, everything's perfect. One of them feels comfortable, the others don't. What is that? What it is, is a man and a woman will either make each other uncomfortable 
you know, create a little tension or it'll bring out the best in each other. Good chemistry means a woman is sitting with a man. There should be some tension there. There should be some discomfort there, but there isn't. On the contrary, with this man, she feels like a woman and it feels great. He is sitting with a woman, there should be some tension. But with this woman, no tension. On the contrary, she makes him feel like a man and he loves it. That's called good chemistry. Good chemistry doesn't mean how I think or how I feel about you. It's how you make me feel about me. So the man who brings out the woman in the woman, that's good chemistry. And the woman who brings out the man in the man, that's good chemistry. And that is not going to happen with just anybody. So a guy calls me and says, I'm going out with this woman. She is amazing. She is so smart, so capable, so uh, mature, so strong. But something makes me hesitate. What is it? <laughs> what is it? She doesn't need you. you. You don't make her feel like a woman. You make her feel like a man. A woman calls up and says, I'm going out with a guy. He is the sweetest, the nicest, the most gentle soul. He's just, I, why am I hesitating? Because you want a husband, not a puppy. <laughs> so don't marry this guy. You want to adopt him? That would be nice. He has to make you feel like a woman, which means that you can lean on, on him. You can trust him. You can follow him. You want to follow him. You feel like a woman. She has to make you feel like a man. Not you want to follow her and you want to worship her. You want to take care of her. You want to provide for her. You're the man. That's good chemistry. And you cannot overlook that. The man has to feel like a mashpia. The woman has to feel like a makabel. If you switch it, there's going to be trouble. You're saying that when somebody is mingling with other people and they're seeing other spouses and other things and they're comparing, how's that yes. answer the question? So, so the fact that there are a lot of eligible women out there, so what? They're not all for you. There's only one that's for you, the one with the good chemistry. So don't get confused. <laughs> this one woman said, you know, I've been looking to get married for years and years. And I can't. Where are all the men? I said, excuse me, where are all the men? It's none of your business. You can't marry all the men. She says, no, you know what I mean, a man. You haven't met a man? <laughs> she said, I mean somebody special. You never met anybody special? Sure you did. They're already married. That's, you know, they're special. 
She says, no, no I'm, I'm talking about the one for me. I said, look how far we have come in two minutes. You started off with all the men, and now we're down to the one for me. You know what it, that one for me is called? It's called a husband, not a man. So you're not even looking for a man. You're looking for your husband. So what if there are many men? And for a man, oh, there's so many good-looking women, I don't know what to do. You don't know what to do. None of them are your business. You're looking for your wife. Don't get distracted. Friedman, let's go to closing, and then I would like you to leave off at the end. I'm going to ask you what people are texting, so we'll get to that. Um, let's just wrap up a little bit because it's getting 12 o'clock. First, I want to thank again, Rabbi Manasrim, for coming on tonight, being Mechazik. There was literally hundreds of people on, probably together over 1,000, 1,200. will post the video. Mechazim will send it out. We'll put it on. There'll be thousands of people watch it. And again, a big, big thank you, Shkoyach, for coming. We have to do uh, round two and round three, I think. And uh, for everybody who was traumatized tonight with these world concepts of being mevatel, uh, we're going to do a session on, uh, we're going to do a post-traumatic stress session uh, very shortly for that. The concept, we've had a similar share to this, by the way, actually whatever Chase Tower being uh, sacrificed for marriage. We also got a very similar response. So I, I think we need to go deeper and deeper with this, Reverend Friedman. Um, again, tonight's share. Here's, here's the summary. Wait, 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 not up to the summary. Let me finish, let me finish. Are you okay? Let me finish. So tonight also, tonight's share was learning the Nishmas of my father-in-law, Reb Tovia, Ben Rebarach Yosef, Nishanah Shalev Big Aliyah, and also we did it, my, my mother-in-law was here for her father, Toich Deshana, Zev Ben Francis, Nishanah Shalev, Shemans Aliyah from all the thousands of people that were being Mechazik and opening their mind and being Mechabal and hopefully Mahana the marriage. Um, next week, Sunday, we have a big share with Rabbi Wawa Jacobson talking about some life challenges, how to grow with them in some extremely diff difficult situations. Again, me and Menachem spent the whole Shabbos them last week, so uh, it's going to be a very powerful, mind-blowing share. Please, anybody who came, please come again. It's really going to be enjoyable. Let people know about it. Um, everything is recorded tonight, and um, we'll send it out. Tonight's share is number 29. It should be up on MenachemBernfeld.com's website. Any questions, please email CoachMenachem at gmail.com. Rabbi Manis, if you want to tell everybody your, 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 your website or your email. If you want it's to share. goodtoknow.org. It's good to know. It's good to know.org. If anybody has a question directly for Rabbi Freeman, please email to him. If you want to challenge him, I'm sure he loves the challenge. Send him the question. What are you talking about? How could I, how could I be, how could I just be giving? We got the question. That's the question tonight. One question. Um, again, if anybody wants to reach Menachem, it's coachmenachemgmail.com. Tonight shares number 29. It's going to be recorded also if people want to call in the phone number 732-924-8464. Again, a special thank to all the advertising sponsors, the Lakewood School for pushing us here in Lakewood. Chazak, Rabbi Yaniv. A special thank you to Chayla Kaufman, Shul Summer, for always helping us uh, promote us digitally. Coach Menachem, a few minutes. And then before it goes back to Rabbi Anas Friedman, I just want to give him a Dhamma before the closing. Okay, Rabbi Friedman? Yeah. Okay, Coach Menachem. Rabbi Friedman. I think the Oilam is still um, digesting, processing what they heard tonight. And basically, like Avraham Avinu, to be able to go against the world, to come up with these concepts and understand what's real, what are we looking for? And it basically goes against everything we hear out there. And some, that's why sometimes it's hard for people to digest. You really have to understand it, whether it goes back to the self-love or what the self, what's a healthy self. But ultimately, 
that people should be able to fill up by giving and uh, and ideally when both of the spouses are there to give and by giving they they feel great so you don't need anything more than that so yes we're redefining some definitions over here and we got some therapists on board that uh, if anybody feels they need a little bit of third party just to understand what we're discussing. So thank you very much. And it should be a big schos and siyata deshmaya that we should be able to grow from listening to this and understanding, I guess, slowly understanding what we're looking for. Shkoyach. Rabbi Friedman, before you give a closing, not a short closing, just uh, people texting, you know, any any practical tips, to, first of all, to help a marriage that's already okay or marriage that needs work, more practical, down-to-earth and Kazakh tips that people could take home with them and uh, help themselves and help their marriages. Be more respectful of each other. Stop looking for love. Focus on respect. The respect will bring the love. The love will not bring the respect. So speak to each other with more derecheretz. Don't scream at each other from another room. Don't ever talk down to your child. Don't ever talk down to your spouse. Use the proper tone of voice. The wrong tone of voice will ruin anything you're saying, no matter how smart it is. But if it's with the wrong nigun, <laughs> it, it gets tuned out. But here's the point I want to close with. The Mishnah says, if you learned a lot of Torah, don't give yourself a lot of credit because you were born to this. So why shouldn't you give yourself credit? It means don't think you sacrificed. Don't think you did something unusual or special. You're designed for this. It's not a sacrifice. Marriage and giving to the other, completely melting into the relationship, is not a compromise. It's not a sacrifice. It's not lefnim mishuras haddin. You're not going way beyond the call of duty. It is the most natural thing that we do when we serve because that's how we were designed. We were not designed to be selfish. So when we try to be selfish, we just ruin everything. It goes against our nature to be selfish. That's the beauty of what Taita is telling us. You're designed to serve, not to be selfish. So when you're not being selfish, you're healthier, you're happier, you're more natural. It's not a compromise. It's who we really are. And if you think of it that way, then it's a little more uh, doable, a little more attainable than if you think that it's some kind of heroics. It's not heroics. Look, if you're making lunch for yourself, man or woman, you're making lunch for yourself, how much effort are you going to put in? You open a can, a jar, whatever's left over in the fridge. But if somebody's coming over to your house for lunch, all of a sudden it's a party. Then it's a pleasure to cook and to bake and to make and to buy. Because it's a party. It's for somebody else, for yourself. 
whatever is enough, what's the big deal? That's our true nature. Enjoy who you really are. You're much more noble than pop psychology makes you think. So give it some thought. I know it's radical because the last thing I wanted to do is tell you something you already know or just put a Band-Aid on a bad situation. So we're getting to the real core of not only marriage, but life itself. And when you get that strong and healthy, you can, you can, you can handle anything. Mr. Shkoyach, Rabbi Freeman, it's a beautiful shirt tonight. Thank you again. See everybody next week. Good night, Gizunt. Good night. See everybody next week. Bye-bye. Shkoyach. Bye.